Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Hey there, welcome back to Recovery, sort of. I'm Jason, I'm a guy in recovery. I'm Billy, I'm a person in live, in-person recovery. Oh man, he's doing face-to-face now. I'm not there yet. I'm I'm still I'm still in virtual recovery, but it's working right now. Um, so we're going to talk about step six today. It is June, which I, I don't know why, for whatever reason, like July just feels like it should be the six months of the year for me. June doesn't seem like it should be. It seems like five. I don't know why, but it is the six month. And that means step six. And we'll get there in just a moment. Um, before we do, do that, I did want to remind people we are on Twitter, Instagram, and we are now newly on Facebook. And I don't have the exact specific links to any of that, but it, you know, I think it's in the show notes actually is the the true links um, to those places. But if you just want to look it up in this day and age where everything is conveniently searchable, it's some version of recovery sort of, it shouldn't be very difficult to find. Everybody else thinks they have really solid recovery. We're just unsure with our sort of. <laughs> we don't um, know what we're doing. Yeah, basically. Uh, And and also along with that, that, you know, we have some friends who message us regularly, um, you know, and and talk about things, Stephanie, Caroline, Jenny, to name a few. But we we love that. Like we like interacting with people and talking to people and people who want to hear different topics talked about and people who just want to share some other stuff that they're going through with us. And so feel free to reach out. We, we, we love that kind of stuff. We, we did post last week's show about cliches up and got a ton of comments about everybody's favorite cliche or least favorite cliche. Um, so that's cool. And, and we're going to do another cliche episode in a few weeks. And so I'm going to, I'm guessing we'll address all those commented cliches before we <laughs> finish our list. That might be a whole show getting through all those. Oh, it, I'm, I might be too. <laughs> there was a shit ton. People definitely have feelings. I think the most surprising thing to me about the entire cliche thing is that even though I, I think there's a lot of truth to these, it just seems like a lot of people have had their feelings hurt by a cliche somewhere along the line. Because I, I got a lot of people that said, I don't like this one because it didn't seem to take my feelings into consideration when it was used or, or people use this in an insensitive way. And even like with you talking about your wife, not liking it is what it is. Her and I had some Facebook discussion about that. And it was, you know, that it was used insensitively. And I, I was surprised by that. I didn't realize people 
were so insensitive with their cliche use. Yeah, her and I had talked about that too. And I was like, well, when I say that, I'm, I don't mean it in the way that I guess she's heard it implied or it's been a, in, applied. So, yeah, it's interesting. There was, yeah, a couple of the other ones, like keep it simple, stupid. Somebody had been offended by that. Uh, somebody else had been hurt by feelings ain't aren't facts. Um, <laughs> and it, like listening to people, I can see that. I guess really what I'm getting out of that is that these cliches, they are what they are, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, people are insensitive and, and we just use them to shut people down instead of dealing with, you know, what they're going through with them. Yeah, and I'm sure when you hear them, it depends on what state you're at in the moment. You know, obviously, if you say to someone, you know, feelings aren't facts and you just hear that thrown out at a meeting when you're in like a regular day, it's probably not a big deal. But if you're in the middle of like going through a divorce or separation or something and you're all depressed and you think life sucks and then people are telling you, well, feelings aren't facts. It's like, well, fuck you, buddy. You know, you don't have my life. Right, (laughs) right. In the wrong moment, you know, those things can hurt. Yeah, I just, I definitely thought it was interesting to see that so many people, uh, you know, had beef with different ones for the same reason. And that was kind of, it was eye opening to see that, oh, okay, so maybe this is just how people are using them. They're just using them because it's easier to say that than it is to actually address what the person is going through with them. It's easier just to shut them down. Ah, It is what it is. Shut the fuck up. Or try to simplify it, you know? It's like some of these life issues are fucking complicated, you know? Some of these situations we deal with on a day-to-day basis, there isn't just a simple, easy, three-word cliche that's going to fucking fix it, make your feelings all better, and help you live the rest of your life better. Like, it's some of it's a struggle. And if you're dealing with some deep, you know, relationship issues, maybe around some, you know, infidelity, or you have a marriage you've been in for a long time that's struggling, like... You know, just walking out the fucking door, you know, isn't always the easiest thing to do. I mean, you know, it's simplifying someone's long-term struggle into a five-word cliche, you know, is is kind of minimalist. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're entirely right. I, one of the things I got out of reading uh, the step work for step six to talk about it today was that a lot of our cliches do come from the literature. And so I, I caught a couple more in the six step reading and I, you're right though. You can't just simplify. It's not like they said step six and then just listed one cliche. It's like 38 <laughs> right. paragraphs, right? And then right. there's a cliche or two in there. Yeah. And it's, it's almost a, like we talked about with the, uh, when we were talking about humility, it's like in the right context, you know, the, the cliche about humility. And I'm trying to remember what it was off the top of my head, but, uh, you know, a cliche about humility in the right context is helpful. But when you use it, you know, just in general to sum up the whole meaning of humility, it seems kind of stupid. Yeah, I don't remember what it was either. It was about humility, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of uh, yourself less. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so again, the, in the right conversation or in the right moment like that, this could be in, incredibly enlightening, you know, but. In the if you're trying to explain humility and you say, well, I can sum up humility in one great cliche, and then you mutter that shit, it's like, well, wait a minute, you forgot some really important things there. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly, exactly, and I and I think the cliches are very much, uh, 
uh, this might not be the greatest thing to say, but kind of like stereotypes, like stereotypes yep. <laughs> come from some truth, right? Like there, there's some truth to them in the first place, but that doesn't mean that they're generalizable to every person or situation. And they're definitely not true all the time. Like they just right. have some recognition of truth in it. Yeah, and so cliche sure. same way. They don't ultimately describe everything to do with anything. They are just, you know, useful things that stem from a kernel of truth somewhere. So now that I've uh, unduly, you know, given credence to stereotypes, um, <laughs> let's let's move on and talk about step six. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So as a guy in a particular program, all my steps always had we in front of it, right? Like we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And it's always interesting to me to remember that in every other program, basically, we is not there. Like, I think we're the only one that says we. And so this this step sounds weird without we. Most of them sound okay, right? But this one we're entirely ready to have like that just sounds strange to me uh, yeah i i didn't know that the we wasn't in there i kind of almost assumed they all were the same now i kind of have to look it up real quick <laughs> yeah no I, all the so everybody pretty much nobody borrows from us they all borrow from the original the aa version and aa's version has no we along with all that uh, and, and i i like our adoption of we I just, uh, I can't believe this step sounds so awkward without it. Like, who, who were? Just were. Who the hell starts a sentence with were? <laughs> yeah, not even the hyphenated, like, we are. <laughs> like, <Right>. Just <laughs> were. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. I just looked at it. I'm like, wow, that is weird. <laughs> yeah, you're right. The hyphen would have made a lot. The apostrophe. Like apostrophe. Weird. Yeah, not, yeah. Um, yeah. It would have made a lot more sense. We're entirely ready. Just right. were, right. were entirely ready. <laughs> Maybe it got and, lost in translation from the 1950s. It should have been hyphenated, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I, I will say, when I was reading the basic text and and it works how and why for this, I was really thinking, God, why don't we just read the basic text and the it works how and why for these episodes? <laughs> these are good. Yeah. Um, so that, I do want to start. I want to start with the first two paragraphs of the basic text. Maybe they will help give some understanding uh, to someone who has never. Uh, why do I not have it up? I have the wrong one up. Of course, I'm not ready. So I, I, I just think, you know, in trying to make this understandable for people who are either a new and, and never dealt with this or B uh, have never dealt with recovery because they're not in recovery. I'm hoping to try to make some kind of sense of this. So maybe we could start there and just sort of try to explain it even before we read. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So if we're following along in the order of steps, we did a searching and fearless moral inventory, right? Which is like a list of all these things we've done about, um, we've done in our lives and our patterns and ways that we, you know, act in, ways that don't work well for us. And then we admit this exact nature of our wrongs to ourselves and to another human being and, and to a power greater than us as we understand it. 
And now in six, we've kind of come to this understanding that we have these defects of character. Um, and that's, you know, ways in which we act that just aren't good for us. Is, is there a better explanation you could have to try to explain this to somebody? Um, I, yeah, so the way I would immediately try to explain it, you know, the, the point of step six is, you know, the early steps were addressing like our active addiction. Really the only, what I would call action that we're taking is look, stop using. Um, stop using, start coming to these meetings, you know, then we'll give you some other suggestions, maybe get a sponsor, get someone to help you along the way. Um, but we're mostly addressing or presenting like our, our past and our active addiction. This is the first step that gets into, all right, so what's behind the addiction? What's, what's our motivating factors for kind of why we use, why we do what we do, um, why we stay stuck in like self-destructive patterns that don't serve us. I mean, for most people, using drugs doesn't work out well. It's usually destroying their lives, causing lots of chaos. But yet we go back to it time and time again, you know, because it's like you've heard it described. It's like that comfortable old blanket or that old pair of shoes that it's like, well, I don't know another way to find comfort. So even though this is killing me, I'll go back to using and so we kind of address that in the first couple steps. Um, then we look at our past and we dig into all that in four, you know, and then we share it in five. We kind of talk about all that. But then six is like the first time where we're going, all right, so, you know, what actions can we take like in our life in the here and now going forward to get better and improve? Yeah, kind of, I guess what I got out of, a little bit of what you were saying is, you know, we, we the drug use was the pattern that was killing us. And now that we've removed that, we start to see some of the other things we do that also aren't beneficial for our life and relationships to others. But we've just done them for so long. And, and I think without addressing these, right, if I don't address some of these, what we call character defects, which is like, you know, disproportionate jealousy, dis you know, things that are blown out of proportion. They're normal character traits. Everybody's a little jealous. Everybody's a little self-righteous. But we, you know, in our state, blow them out of proportion to the point where they create dysfunctional relationships with others. And they can lead to isolation. They can lead to shame about the way we treat people. And these are the types of things that could lead us back to using or just lead us to have a miserable life. And either way, it's not good. And so it's like, okay, we, like you said, we get the drugs out of the way. Now let's address some of these other things that are going on with us that are coming from the same exact place of like self-centered fear, you know, self-hatred. We use these tactics to cover all that up. And so these are stemming from the same place. We just, now we need to attack them. Right. And the way I've, you know, was, was sort of, taught or the way that resonated most with me about what addiction is, um, it's not just a drug problem. You know, drugs are just a symptom of a much bigger problem, you know, and that bigger problem is my self-centeredness, my self-serving behaviors, my, you know, self-seeking behaviors. Um, and addiction is just a part of that. So I, for me personally, like just removing the drug or removing the active addiction didn't fix the rest of the problems or the underlying problem of why I went back to using time and time again. And so in six, I'm finally getting a glimpse of like, okay, you, like you said, like now we've taken the drugs out, let's look at some of these other problems that you have 
you know, that lead you back to wanting to use. Almost as if uh, when you got a cold in the winter, right? And the most pressing concern was you got a fever with it and your fever was 104. You address the fever first, right? You look, your, your nose might be running, your throat might be sore, your body might be achy. But if your fever is like 103, 104, that's your main concern. That's the drug use. Now, once we get that fever down, okay, now what else can we do about this runny nose and this sore throat? Is there anything to treat those with as well? Like we get the main part out, you know, the deadly part out first, and then we want to deal with the other symptoms of that cold. Right. And, uh, you know, with, with addiction, it's kind of tricky because, you know, it's, it's easy to see the destruction of the using. It's not always as easy or as, uh, prevalent, you know, the destruction of some of these behaviors. So hopefully through our fourth and fifth step, you know, we've dug into some of the reasons why we do what we do. You know, why do we cheat in all our relationships? That didn't just have to do with drugs. It's like, well, I got drunk, so I went out and cheated in all my relationships. You know, there's some underlying behaviors there. And, uh, you know, again, using might have been the main reason why you, you know, stole from your family, but it probably wasn't the reason of why you felt so much guilt and shame and would like make up stories and excuses for behaviors or tell people you did certain things you didn't do like you know making up lies about yourself to feel better about yourself like those kind of behaviors you know they're they're not using you know what i mean they don't come from using they come from something else that's that's you know sick in, use the word sick but the, something else inside of us that needs addressed and i would say this is kind of like for like earth people like this would be like the the therapy step like why i think people go to therapy and you may know this better but at least my understanding like people go to therapy to help try to identify like patterns of behavior that they're stuck in or maybe thoughts or beliefs that they're kind of stuck in that they can't seem to work through that they need some more insight or more outside uh help with and I kind of always took it like this is like the therapy step for addicts. Instead of going to a therapist, we just meet with another recovering addict, go through our fifth step and start to figure out what patterns of thinking and behavior that we're stuck in that aren't serving us well. So, uh, yeah, so each there's a lot of different therapy modalities that would, you know, look at life a little different. But there is a strong belief among many therapists that would say uh, people do things because they are coping skills, right? We, we don't do things for no reason. We do it because it helps us cope with life. And maladaptive coping skills are built in very early on um, in our childhood homes. You know, some interaction with our parents usually or our caregiver gives us a way to cope with the world or process the world in an unhealthy way that has consequences that don't feel good for our life. And so this would kind of line up with that, right? The more we understand about addiction, that's exactly what drug use is. It's a coping skill that helps us deal with life when we can't function or deal with it any other way. And so, yeah, these are the way a therapist would address, you know, hey, why do you keep uh, dating men that you feel like you're saving, right? If you're a lady who does that, that's like a common thing that seems to, like women like to be caretakers. And so they date these men that for whatever reason, you know, struggle to take care of themselves and, and they want to save them in some kind of way, shape or form. Or then there's, you know, uh, people who are, are overly, they want to be perfectionists, right? And they struggle with any time they fall short. Like there's all these other different maladaptive ways of, of coping with life. 
that aren't suiting people well. And so this would be the same type of thing. They want to, you know, address those issues and find healthier ways to, to live with it. And in therapy, the same thing we find in the step is that we aren't doing these as surfacey things. There's a core belief, you know, a, a, a distorted core schema or belief system about ourselves lying underneath of it that is causing us to act this way to try to bring in information that makes us feel better or alleviates the way we feel about ourselves. Right. And so, you know, we're in this point through five, we've tried to hopefully with the help of a sponsor or whoever we went through our step with, or, you know, another guiding person, we're hoping to have identified some of these patterns, identified some of these, you know, maladaptive thinking habits and, uh, in six, we're looking for active solutions. Like, okay, now I've identified the problem. Now, what do I want to do about it? Or what can I do about it? Or, or what are some solutions to getting out of this? I found it funny as I was reading this and, and what some of the emphasis of the reading was on. And I haven't, I mean, it's been a minute since I've done a, a six. And it's been even longer minutes since I did a six the way we typically do it out of our guide. The last time I did it, I did it a different book. Um, but there was so much emphasis in the reading on like the goal of this step is to become willing, which makes sense being that it says we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. But that wasn't what I picture what I do when I work six, when I picture six, I picture, I make a list of character defects. Like that's, <laughs> I don't picture becoming willing or ready. Like that's, so it was interesting to see the the difference there. What do you, I don't know. What, what do you think of when you think of six, like off the top of your head that you do? Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm a person that believes like willingness is action. I mean, again, just thinking about shit doesn't get it done. You know, it doesn't say we thought about it. It says we became willing, which to me implies we're doing something about it. Um, so I would say, yeah, willingness implies action. And then I guess we kind of begin to put that action into practice in seven, I guess is the idea behind seven. Now we're getting ahead, but you know, if, if I have a behavior, I mean, again, if I think that, Hey, I'm cheating on my wife and I think it's completely okay. And I have no problem with it, then there's no point in going any further. You know what I mean? There's no point in moving forward to seven or eight or, you know, trying to make amends or any of that stuff. I mean, if I don't even recognize or have any inclination to change, I mean, what's the point of going forward? so i guess it doesn't require a willingness before you're going to do any action so here's these these first two paragraphs uh in in the you know the basic text and it says why ask for something before we are ready for it this would be asking for trouble so many times addicts have sought the rewards of hard work without the labor willingness is what we strive for in step six How sincerely we work this step will be proportionate to our desire for change. Do we really want to be rid of our resentments, our anger, our fear? Many of us cling to our fears, doubts, self-loathing, or hatred because there is a certain distorted security in familiar pain. It seems safer to embrace what we know than than to let go of it for the unknown. And I... I just, I don't know, that struck me as really relevant last night that, you know, so many parts of it. One, that 
you know, I always want the rewards of the hard work without the labor that stood out first. I was like, yeah, that's me. They're talking about me. Um, you know, but then also like how sincerely we work the step is proportionate to our desire for change. I mean, that's almost, it might as well be a cliche. It seems so obvious. And yet at the same time, it's almost profound too. It's like, yeah, I guess the more tired I am of myself and and the way I treat people and the way I feel about that, the more willing I'm going to be to do something about it. Yeah. And it's the old, you know, pain motivates change idea. It's like, you know, when I get sick of myself enough, you know, then I find the willingness and I don't know how much you're going to go into it later, but it talks about it later in that step in that reading in the basic text that talks about, you know, kind of how we, we have a tendency to get stuck here and, and, you know, live in these defects for a while until they become so painful. We're like sick of ourselves. <laughs> um, right. I'm paraphrasing there. I can't remember. It says it. I'm sure way more poetically than I just did, but um, yeah, it's like if, if I am not, so I think about this back to being an addict is that I always want to get my way. I always want what I want and I am typically good at getting it at least, you know, thinking I'm going to get it despite the cost. Um, I will lie. I'll manipulate. I'll cheat, you know, whatever I got to do to get what I want. In this step, we begin to say, all right, am I willing to let that kind of stuff go? Am I willing to try to, to practice some principles in place of getting what I want, you know, and trusting that there's going to be a good outcome there, you know, and I always kind of go back to this example of, you know, let's take like, this would be an old behavior that I would do in kind of a newer way that I might handle it. Hopefully now, not always, but hopefully now is, you know, let's say I have a day that I wake up and I'm like, man, I just, I feel like shit and my head hurts or not even my head hurts. I don't even feel physically bad. I just, I want to take a day off work, whatever. It's a nice day. I want to go out and fucking ride my bike or go to the beach with the kids or whatever. I just want to take a day off. So, I don't want to just call work and say, Hey, you know, I want to take a day off to go hang out at the beach. Cause it's nice out. Cause then they'd be like, well, what the fuck? That sounds pretty irresponsible, but I would be likely to call and say, Oh, you know, my head hurts and my throat's not feeling so good. And you know, I kind of, I'm not feeling great. I think, is it okay if I just take the day off, you know, that's lying, but I'll <laughs> justify that kind of behavior because it's going to get me what I want, you know? And it's, because the fear of not doing that, like if I say that I'm sick, nine times out of 10, no one's going to say, well, you have to come to work. Obviously, you can make other people sick. And well, especially in this climate, God, if you yeah. call and say, Stay yeah, home. my fever is like 94. Or, <laughs> um, that's not even a fever. But um, I was thinking 104, but that's awful high. My fever is 104 and, you know, I need to take off. They'd be like, fuck, stay home for two weeks. Um but no, like I'll, I'll use that sort of behavior because that's going to get me what I want. You know, if I just make up what I think is going to sound good, then I'll get what I want. No harm to the other person. They don't really know that I'm lying. So what fucking harm is that? You know, it's fine. Um, now what I've learned is there is a harm to that. You know, that's a relationship that I have with people at my work that I've now brought in this dishonesty and deceit and manipulation and all these negative character defects I've brought into this relationship. And for me personally, I believe that shit carries through like that carries through in that relationship. Like if I'm bringing all that negativity and all that, uh, you know, character defect stuff into that relationship, 
I'm probably going to do it in other areas too. I'm probably going to justify it in other situations too. And then that relationship's not built on spiritual principles. It's not built on honesty, trust, humility, um, you know, the, these pot love, those positive things that I want in my relationships, in all my relationships. So, you know, I have to become willing to say, you know what, I'm going to live this spiritual path run the risk of maybe them saying, Hey, you know what? Today's not a good day. We're really busy. Can you maybe schedule for a day off or do another day off? You know, we really need you to come in today. Um, but I want to get what I want. So I'll do this negative thing. And, and in this, this is the step where I go, you know what? I'm going to trust that living in this spiritual process, you know, maybe not in this immediate moment, but in the big picture of my life is going to be better for me than getting what I want in this immediate situation hmm. yeah that's definitely tricky and, and it talks you're you're right it does talk a lot about that through the literature about you know being willing to give up the manipulation and guiding so trying to guide situations to the outcome we want because that's what we're ultimately doing often with these character defects is trying to get the the outcome we want and we go a little too far um in doing that so let's take a let's take a quick break we're right about the time for the voices ad then we'll come back and we'll we'll talk some more about step six this episode has been brought to you by voices of hope inc a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in maryland voices of hope is made up of people in recovery family members and allies together members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Getting back to step six and character defects. And I think, you know, some of the stuff you said just made a kind of a point too on the side of that, which is a lot of times, you know, and you said this earlier, a lot of times the smaller defects, like the drug use was obvious how it made our life unmanageable, but like calling out of work and saying you have a headache and going to the beach instead, it's harder sometimes to see the negative parts of that in our life. And so this is where it might be a struggle to become willing to let go of the behavior because we see the the positive aspects of it instead of the ways it harms, A, the relationship we have with people and our trust level with it, but also B, uh, if we tell little lies like that, we're going to start assuming everyone in our life tells little lies like that when they have to cancel on plans with us. Uh, B, it's possible over time we start feeling shame. Um, that to me is like a process I kind of look at, uh, somebody called it like the road narrowing, right? When we first get clean, we're on this highway of like, hey, everything's acceptable because I'm a better dude today than I was when I was getting high. And then as we progress down that highway, it kind of gets slimmer and slimmer. What's, you know, allowable for us to do. We start feeling guilty about other behaviors that maybe don't work. And then 
further down the highway, maybe it's even smaller behaviors that make us upset. And so I think maybe that might not be a behavior that gets addressed your first time through the steps, right? That might be the second round of, of step six where something like that would pop up and bother you. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely think in the beginning, you know, of my recovery, there was a lot of things that I would consider defects that I don't struggle with now. And I say that loosely because I think of like, let's just take, you know, stealing, for example, or, or, you know, whatever you want to use the word embezzling money from my job. Like when I was using, that was fine. That was behavior that was like, ah, you know, they owe me and I could justify it away and do that kind of stuff. And then as I got clean, like it was obvious in the beginning, like, Hey, that's not, that's not the person that I want to be today. You know, it's not a thing that I want to do. So those things are a little, uh, say easier for, for some of us, those things are a little easier to address early on. Like just stopping using will fix some of those things fairly easily. Um, I realize other people have different issues with, you know, say something like theft or whatever. But again, that's the point of a fifth step is for me to go through, figure out what my specific issues are because it, the issues that I have, these defects that I have, I mean, they're, there's some pretty general ones that most addicts have, but the things that you struggle with as an individual are different than the things that I struggle with as an individual and the way that I, you know, wrestle with or, or try to make sense of, you know, my, lack of self-worth or lack of self-esteem, you know, the behaviors that I do to make myself feel better about that may be different than the behaviors that you would do to make yourself feel better about that. Um, but I think back to what you were talking about in some of these things fi almost fix themselves when we get clean, whereas others of them are a little, you know, more deeply ingrained. They're a little more insidious. And so, you know, we'll kind of fight hard with those same justification, rationalization. You know, we'll use those same skills we use for our using to justify and rationalize using drugs to justify and rationalize behaviors that we know aren't good. You know, that that we know creates a sense of uncomfortableness in us. Um, and again, until we get to that point of pain, like, man, I'm sick of feeling like this. You know, man, I'm sick of, you know lying to this person at my job that I respect, man, I'm sick of, you know, lying to my spouse about where I was or who I was talking to or, or whatever, you know, it's, it's, um, some of, some of our behaviors are a little more deeply ingrained. And so it takes a little more, uh, work to recognize why we need to change them. Man, you touched on so many good points in there. Um, one of the ones I think I want to touch on first, you mentioned like what bothers you might not bother me. And that's, that's like four different points in one in my head at least. Uh, but I, I'm thinking about like, yeah, I, okay. So there's some people who get, you know, free from, you know, using a substance and then gambling, like they get all caught up in spending money on gambling, betting on this, betting on that. And there's people who, who never even get into substances who still have, you know, a gambling addiction. That's just not one that ever seems to grasp me yet. I will say yet, because I don't know what the future brings. But 
for whatever reason, and maybe it's just because I'm a, a, a cheap ass, like gambling does not get me. Like it does not do anything for me. I'm like, no, I'm losing money. Um, but some people get a lot of whatever it is that, you know, brings them joy and pleasure seeking in that. And so I, I don't struggle with that one. And yet, like, I remember a lot of times I would talk to my old sponsor about, Hey, uh, you know, one of my bigger ones that I've struggled with throughout the years is seeking validation outside of my relationship from other people. And like, that was just not something that he ever struggled with for whatever reason. It was just not his cup of tea. But he always had an understanding that that it is some people's, right? It was never like a judgmental view of, I don't struggle with that, so you shouldn't either. And I appreciated that. But it is interesting how we each kind of have our our own, you know, pieces that matter. And, and within that, the question is like, when I first went through step six, I wrote every character defect. I had them all, right? Because I do, to some extent. <laughs> They're all part of me. Um and yet what I've realized since then is that, right, I, I just need to focus on the really troublesome, I don't know, top 10, top five, top three, maybe. Like, I, there's got to be some limitation to that because I couldn't address all of them. It was useless to write all that information. To be aware, I guess, but really, I need to deal with what bothers me in the here and now because that's proportionate to how much work I'm willing to do on it is how much they're bothering me. And so when I'm writing about these defects, like, oh yeah, you know, every day I go into work and and you're supposed to take one Tootsie roll and I take three. Like if that don't bother me, I'm not going to fucking change it. So why am I wasting my time focusing on it? What's your, what do you think about that? Should we limit our character defect uh, usage to what's really going on? Um, I don't know if it's, I don't want to say it's okay to justify it to limiting it, but I would say that there is a something to be said for we're all human and none of us is going to be perfect. And I know, you know, when I, you know, my wife and I have talked about like the 10 step inventory at the end of the day. And if you do it kind of loosely out of the IP from our fellowship at the 12 step fellowship, I go to uh, one of the questions in there is about kind of what harm have I caused today? Um, what have I done that I regret today? Uh, what character defects have I acted out on today? Those are a couple of the questions that are in there. Um, if So the way she believes, and I don't know, I've wrestled with this sometimes, but what she believes is if I answer that, like, no, I've been perfect today, then I'm either not being honest with myself or I am in denial about the way that I'm living because probably every one of us in any given day, you know, has acted out in some way in a defect or has caused some kind of harm to someone, you know, other than I guess if maybe if you sat at home by yourself and did nothing, which maybe in this current climate is possible. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, you know what I mean? If you're going out about your day and dealing with people, you know, even if it's just, you know, flicked off the guy in the car next to me, like that's still a harm that I've caused. So I don't want to ever make it seem like, like, well, if that's all I did, that's okay. But at the same time, like I am human. And if I make a comparison about the person that I was, you know, five years ago to the person I am today, am I moving in the right direction? Am I consistently working on things to make myself better? Because the other thing that comes up is, and this is where I was kind of going with, with some of like the lying or, or even the, the stealing, like those thoughts, even with, you know, multiple years clean, 
still pop up in my head. You know, I'm still in the heart. Yeah, just the other day, I, I, I bought like, so I bought this set of stuff for the tub, but it didn't have the color of the knobs that I wanted. So I had to buy a second set that was a different color of these knobs. And then so what I wanted to do was take the knobs out of the package, put them into the other package, take the colored knobs that I wanted, and then go return the one thing to the store, you know, even though it wasn't what I, I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but I wanted to manipulate in the store and, and, and find a way to scheme so that I could get my, you know, 10 or $12 back because I didn't want to spend that 10 or $12. And I didn't do it, but that thought is still there. You know, it's still what comes to mind on how to live my life. Um, the difference today, because I'm actively working a seventh step is that I don't do that. You know, the thought can be there, but I don't follow it up with action. You know, so today I am, am, you know, willing to let go of that defect. I'm willing to surrender that defect and just, you know, live the spiritual path that I've embarked on. Um, so I don't know if that quite answered your question, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I, yeah, it was interesting. I, I remember being at like Home Depot and needing whatever it is, a few plumbing pieces, a few screws, whatever. And, you know, being a, a rather cheap individual, seeing that the box or the package of them was, you know, 10 bucks, but then also seeing that someone had previously come before me and already stolen a few out of a package that was open. Right. And thinking, man, I could just grab these few and I'd have what I needed and nobody's ever going to know. Right. And, and the thoughts, the thought is there, of course, like why spend $10 for this large package of shit I don't need when I could buy a few or, or I could just grab these few from, you know, the package that someone conveniently opened for me. God's will, obviously it's sitting right here <laughs> right. in front of me. Um, and then I just always go back and revert to what I remember someone saying, which was that, Look, chances are, as humans, we all have a price, right? We all have a price where somebody could buy our spirituality or our morals, uh, but mine's going to be higher than a few bucks, right? I might sell it out. It might be for a few million. I might endorse some product that kills people or, or whatever, but it's not going to be for 10 bucks, right? I'm going to spend this 10 bucks. It's not going to be like to somebody who steals bubble gum or a pack of bubble gum. Like, I'm not going to sell my morals and values for 65 cents, right? Like it's going to have to be a good price. If I'm going to, I might steal some money from the racetrack or the lottery or something, but it's going to be a large amount. I'm not going to sell myself short for, for a couple bucks. Yeah. And it's funny. Well, then this will get a little off topic, but I always say that about the environment. I'm like, everybody wants to save the polar bears until gas is $7 a gallon and then fuck the polar bears. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah. And so the, the other side of that is on any given bad day, if I'm not consistently working on my spirit, it's just for me personally, I'll return that shit or I'll take that stuff out of the package and walk out of the store. It's not like I'm exempt from that shit in my life nowadays. I like to say that, you know, nine times out of 10 or I'll even blow it up a little bit and say 99 times out of 100 when I come up with those little stupid kind of thoughts of acting on these character defects, I don't do them, but they still come up. And uh, to get back to what your original question was, so I don't, I got to be careful because I'm my own worst enemy. My thinking is what gets me into trouble most of the time. I can't justify like, hey, I'm not, you know, 
whatever, fill in the blank. I'm not shooting dope. I'm not stealing from my family. I'm not cheating on my wife. So it's okay to take, you know, a $3 item from Home Depot. Like, fuck no. It's For me personally, the way that I want to live today and the, the spiritual place that I want to be in my life, I can't justify any defects of character. I can't justify, you know, any, uh, a lot. I can't, I can't make any of these little slip ups, you know, okay in my own spirit. Um, but at the same time, trying to balance that out with they're going to happen. And then I have to, which would get into the other steps. Like then I can apply the other steps, which is, okay, so I've done this thing that I don't like. Now I need to get into a process of making amends. But, you know, again, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, I would say that it's okay to say, well, I'm better than I was. So it's okay to do these negative behaviors now. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. I, I've, you know, I've definitely heard some odd takes on this step. I've heard, uh, how do you become entirely ready? And I've heard people with substantial time and recovery say you become entirely ready by diving on in and doing that behavior more. Because yeah. the only way you're really going to be ready is by being sick of yourself. And so if you're at a point where like, maybe you are stepping outside of your relationship and uh, there's some guilt, but there's also some, damn, this feels good. And you can't really let it go yet. Like, how do you let it go? Well, you keep doing that shit and you will get caught or you will feel guiltier or like some negative thing will happen that will have you become entirely ready at some point, I hope. Yeah. And so, I mean, that is true to a degree. I've also heard the saying, maybe we'll get back to this in the cliche episode, but you know, a smart person learns from their own mistakes. A wise person learns from other people's mistakes. So yes, you know, this, this pain can be a good motivator, but if I have positive male role models in my life, I mean, I guess this goes back to, you know, why I continue to go to meetings, why I continue to be, you know, actively involved in a process of recovery and try to be engaged with people that are living in this similar spiritual process. Um, because nowadays that I'm a little bit older and a little bit smarter, I don't feel like I have to be that person anymore that like I learned the hard way. I got to do everything myself and have that experience myself. Like, fuck, man, maybe I'm smart enough. I don't have to do that anymore. Like I've done that for so long. Like I'm going to be different. I'm going to be unique and I'm going to be better. And, you know, I guess maybe that's where this thing of faith comes in. Like the faith is that I don't need to. I'll backtrack just a minute. So we talked about uh, take something like low self-esteem and you had talked about, you know, overcoming your low self-esteem, maybe with seeking, you know, value of women getting in relationships, um, you know, whatever, multiple relationships, whatever. I know a lot of people have had that issue. I haven't. I've never been a guy that was juggling three women and lying all the time. I mean, I cheated in relationships when I was using, but not to like what I would call that, like the addict, like seeking self seeking sexual behavior and all that stuff. Um, but I will do other things to get that same, uh, sense of self-worth, that sense of self-esteem me. I'm a perfectionist. Like everything I need, everything that I do needs to be better than what you would do. Any project that I embark on needs to be the best, you know, and I'll hold myself to that sort of perfectionist standard. Um, 
So there's a similar defect that manifests in different ways. Um, I still have that defect. It's still kind of there. It still comes up and wants to push me to be this perfectionist. But I don't need to now go, well, maybe I'll go out and sleep with a bunch of women now because that'll make me feel better about myself. Like I can trust that I have known enough people in this process that have been through that situation. I fucking know what the outcome of that's going to be. I don't need to take that journey myself at this point in my life. You know, it requires a little bit of faith and humility to know, like, I am not terminally unique. Like, I am not so much better than everyone else that my experience with that is going to be different than the dozens of other men that I have heard go down that path. As a guy who frequently beats his head against the wall, making the same mistake over and over, I'm a little offended by smart people learning from their own mistakes. <laughs> I don't like this idea. Um, so interestingly enough, I'm sitting here looking at one of the quotes I pulled out of the literature, and it says, we learn that we are growing when we make new mistakes instead of repeating old ones. And I think that's interesting because I definitely, before recovery, wanted to not make any mistakes. That was my ultimate goal of perfectionism. And so to understand that, like, mistakes are fine. Just continual mistakes that aren't working are kind of ridiculous to some extent. And and mean we're stagnant in our lives, I guess. Yeah. And it, I mean, for me specifically, you know, obviously parenthood and being in a long-term relationship have been the, the biggest challenges um, to my spiritual condition. Um, and I mean, just in the way that I act and the way that how far separated I seem to be a lot of times from the way that I want to act and the person that I want to be. And then the person that comes out, you know, when my kid spills fucking milk all over the kitchen floor or whatever, like, um, but I do try to give myself a little bit of break in that area because that's all been new territory since I've been in recovery. I didn't have kids when I was using, I was never in long-term relationships when I was using, I'm, I'm into this new uncharted territory. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, I would say nowadays that's where most of my painful learning lessons come in is that, you know, I get in a situation I've never been in before and I react in a way that at the end of the day, when I lay my head down at night, I go, shit, that didn't feel good. You know what I mean? Like that isn't in alignment with the person that I want to be. You know, when I picture myself being, you know, a great dad or a great spouse or a great employee, like that isn't how I acted today. So I had a period of time where I sought out some other fellowships and I, I, I didn't like stop seeking out other fellowships or programs, but I just had a period of time where it was ne necessary for me to seek out some other programs to assist me. And it was really interesting and relevant. And I learned a lot. And one of the things that blew my mind was I, I attended some Al-Anon um, and it was mostly Al-Anon meetings that were focused on uh, the the adult child concept, which there's a whole nother fellowship or program for that too. But at this point, I was just, it was convenient to hit this Al-Anon meeting that focused on that topic. Um, and what I found incredible, because I would never think, before I went there, I would have thought, I will get nothing out of Al-Anon. I don't even have a qualifier. Like nobody in my life drinks as like an alcoholic. Um, and what I found was what they deal with there is how to deal with other people. 
right? How to deal with other people, how to not try to force your will on other people, how to allow other people to be who they are and still love them. And I'm like, I could probably leave NA because this is all the fuck I deal with in my life now. <laughs> right. Like all I deal with is other people. Like, right. I don't know. It's just extremely relevant. And I was like, holy shit, this is incredible stuff here. Like this is definitely what I deal with. My my wife, my kids, trying not to force myself on them, trying not to, you know, trying to allow them to be their own people and, and just love them because of it, not in spite of it. And it's yeah. tricky. Yeah. Um, so, so to deviate a little from some of the, the literature and the quotes that I have to get into, I, I did want to say when I first got to recovery, you know, getting to the steps, getting to the sponsor, get to the service, we would hit these step meetings. Everybody seemed to share. It, was, it seemed like, and I, this could be just how it seemed, it seemed like there was a lot more talk in people's shares about the steps back then. And frequently you would hear, oh my God, four, it's terrifying and hard work and laborious and arduous. And then every once in a while you would hear, I guess, and this was somebody who actually made it past four, that would share about, look, four sounds daunting, but wait till you get to six. Six is the real doozy, right? And so uh, I had these expectations when I got to these steps. I was like, yeah, you know, four is going to be tough. And, and it was in the sense that it's a lot of work, but it wasn't really that awful for me. There was some scary parts about sharing some stuff nobody else knew um, that I thought made me look bad. But all in all, it wasn't too terrible. But then I got to six and I said, okay, all these people shared that six was going to be terrible. I'm already, I have this information now, right? So I can just not let it be terrible. Obviously, like they've given me the information. I just won't let it get to me. And that shit did not work. Like six was a, <laughs> it was crazy. It was overwhelming. I wrote down all these things. And I looked at these character defects and it, it, it hurt. It hurt to be so keenly aware of how I fell short so frequently all day, every day. It truly hurt me as a human to know that I was so much further from being a good dude than I thought I was. And so I don't know if that's avoidable. I don't like that is a very that was a very painful part of step six for me to put this on paper and then have myself constantly throughout the day see all these moments where I just was not the guy I really want to be and how my actions really affected others negatively a lot of times. And it was like, damn, man, this hurts. This hurts. I was it felt like I was in a funk. And then, you know, the literature kind of talks about we sort of try to fix this on our own. Like, oh, well, I'll just stop these character defects. I'll just stamp them down and never act on them. And that shit don't work at all. Like awareness was not enough of it. Right. I needed more than just awareness. And so I don't know if you had any experience similar to that, but that was my early on experience with step six. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't know that it was terrifying. I mean, it was really difficult. You know, it's like for me, it felt like a lot of those defects were almost like instincts. Like they just seem to be like this situation comes up and this is fucking what I do. Like, I don't even like the the process of like the thought before the action isn't even there. Like somebody cuts me off on the highway. I'm fucking road raging and blowing the horn and flicking them off and tailgate you know just that stuff seemed just so a part of who i was that uh it almost felt insurmountable you know <laughs> like i don't know how to fix that and 
you know, maybe that's the part of why we turn to that, like a, a power greater than ourselves. Because, you know, obviously I was aware that these weren't behaviors that I liked about myself. I was aware that they weren't things that I, I had wrote enough to know that, you know, I didn't like these things. Um, but sort of figuring out and knowing what to do about them was the problem. Because, you know, let's take a road rage incident. Well, if someone cuts me off on the road, I mean... I don't have the ability to just go, well, I'm angry and I should not be angry. Like I'm angry and that's just what happened. And I don't have control over that part, but what I do have control over it is what I do with that anger. You know, that's, that's where I have to um, sort of take some responsibility and be like, you know, same as, you know, back what I learned early on in recovery. Like I'm not responsible for my thoughts, but I'm responsible for my behaviors. And, you know, for me, six was a big, process of of getting to understand that yeah I, everything you just spoke about i'm listening to the audiobook right now uh called the anger trap and it's i mean i look i don't believe i could have listened to this 15 years ago and you know had the same reaction to it i might have just completely ignored it like things happen in line <laughs> for a reason but listening to this now i'm just sad that i did not become more aware of my underlying anger and how that affects the way I treat and interact <laughs> with others earlier, because it's, whew, it's hard to see even now, like it's hard to see that I, I still have a lot of anger inside. And, and like you said, the cool thing is like now in those moments, it's nice when I'm conscious and present to have the choice to do something different. I thought the same thing. I thought, I'm angry, and the only thing I can do now is this thing I do when I'm angry, which is explosively tell you how wrong you are, belittle you, <laughs> and make you see how right you are, how right I am, and that you need to do what I want you to do. And like I, that's not the only option. And it's been interesting this week to see I'll, I'll go a little too far, and I can just see it in the person's face that I'm interacting with, right? I can just, just like their face just melts into this, I'm a smaller person now. And I'm like, oh, shit, there I am, right? In my head, I can just see, and I got to walk that, whatever it was, I just stepped over the line. I got to walk it back and get on the right side of the line and try to, you know, fix that for the moment. But yeah, I agree. My My defects felt so ingrained that they were impulsive and they were they felt like they were the only possible thing that could happen when I had that particular feeling. They did not feel like there was the ability to do anything different with them. Right. And that's what I think you just spoke about. Like the anger, there's nothing wrong with the anger. Like the anger is, is useful. It, it informs us of when someone's treating us poorly and it informs us of different situations that we need to address, but how we deal with it, there are more ways than just that, you know, one way we're used to. Right. And, you know, this, this process of the sixth step, I would say in, in later recovery. So it's, it's hard to kind of not jump ahead into other steps because, you know, the way I would say I live my life now is I live like six and then, well, through a process of living like a 10th step, you know, and, and sort of taking a regular inventory or, or, you know, looking back on my day or over my week and seeing, you know, what areas I might've done this or that. Um, it's a sort of mini version of five, six, seven, you know what I mean? Like I go through my day, I say, Oh yeah, I had this incident at work and I, 
you know, maybe lost my temper, got mad at these people and I acted in this way. Uh, I don't feel too good about that. Um, so let's take a look at that. All right. So what could I have done different? How maybe can I address that in the future? And then what are some red flags that I can tell when I'm getting into that situation? You know, what are, what are some things that I can see? Cause like say, usually with me getting angry, most times I can sort of feel it ramping up. I can feel it. I mean, occasionally I go like from one to 10. I mean, obviously that happens sometimes, but you know, through a process of an inventory, um, which the first go through the steps would have been that big fifth step. Now it's, you know, little mini fifth steps in my day or week. Um, it's like I am identifying what areas, you know, get me into dangerous situations. I am sort of learning to look at, you know, what, what situations really push my buttons? Well, the kids and making a mess at the house. That one sets me off in a minute, you know, coming in from work and seeing the kids shit all over the house when I know they've been home all day and there's food plates out on the table and a soda can laying on the floor. Like that stuff sets me off. So now that I know that, what do I want to do with it? You know, am I willing to do something different or do I just want to come in, start screaming, yelling, fucking kick the soda can across the room, you know, or do I want to try to try something different, you know? And, and you point that situation out. It's a, it, I don't think that's too unique. I think a lot of people deal with, you know, children and, and frustration and messes and, all those things, right? And so I'm picturing myself, the reason I wanted to come in and throw a fit and kick the soda can across the, the room was because I didn't believe people were hearing me if I didn't do that, right? right? I felt very unheard in my life. And so it's like, if I don't make this dramatic, angry scene that might scare these little people, nobody's going to hear me. And, and the, the truth was, honestly, and even in making that scene repeatedly, they didn't hear me. Right? <laughs> they didn't hear you then either. <laughs> right. The right. same shit still happened. And it's not that they didn't hear me. They just have their own priorities in their life. Right. And so, yeah, can I, can I scare them enough to do it less often? Sure. I'm bigger than them. I can scare them somewhat. That's not really how I want to parent though. Um, but yeah, that it was all about, I'm scared if I don't do this reaction, I won't get the outcome I'm looking for. And then like over time, I realized I'm still not getting the outcome I'm looking for. I'm just feeling like shit for being a kind of a bully to my children. Um, right. And so then it's, okay, hey, let's try some other things. The, the trick about trying other things is that I got to be willing to accept that nothing might change and be okay with that, right? Yep. Highly possible. Other people are not going to always change no matter what we do. And that's just part that's part of the acceptance and growth of us, right? What is that challenging me to understand about me? Um, just to click on to some of these quotes that I had pulled out that seemed pretty nice. Uh, I think we kind of touched on this. Our character defects are basic human traits that have been distorted out of proportion by our self-centeredness, causing enormous pain to us and those around us. And I think that's, that's an important one to remember that a, that these are basic human traits, right? These, these aren't something that are wildly make us terrible people. They're just things that because we're totally self-centered in ways that we don't understand all the time, we blow them out of proportion, but they also cause enormous pain to us and those around us. I forget that frequently that like, these are painful for everybody involved. 
Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, and and you know, just like the the kids thing, like a, you know, I will feel like you know they're not listening or they're disrespecting me, and then you know, my way of you know lashing back out at that is to like degrade and humiliate and belittle them. And I think that you know, because that that builds me up. You know, it makes me feel better. Like, oh, you're going to hurt me. Well, I'm going to hurt you back. And, you know, again, in that moment, I'm not identifying or recognizing that pattern of thinking. I'm just, I'm mad. I'm hurt. So I want to hurt back, you know, and, and learning that I can do that. I have that right. If you want to call it that they're my kids. And if that's the way I want to parent, I can parent that way. Um, but I don't, it, it doesn't make me feel good about who I am. It doesn't, it's not the person that I want to be, you know, and, and unfortunately doing that enough times, you know, I find the willingness to maybe handle that situation a little differently. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't pull this quote out, but there was a couple of different pieces of the readings that spoke to what you talked about. You've talked about it in previous episodes too. And you just kind of spoke about it here that sometimes we feel bad about the way we act because that's the energy we need to inspire to change and do something different. And, and it talked about like, that's what happens. Oftentimes we, we feel bad about same thing that happened with treating my kids. Like I, I started to leave those situations feeling like, man, I don't want to be, I don't want to feel like this. Like I feel like a piece of shit for talking to them the way I just did. Right. Like I want to do something different. God, I just want to be relieved of this feeling. Yeah. And, and some of those defects, I mean, some of them are things that, you know, we've developed. And then some are things like I will repeatedly find myself parenting like I was parented, even though I know it was wrong or, or I, not that it was wrong per se. My parents were good people. They tried their best, but they made some mistakes. I mean, obviously everyone does, but I was not neglected, abused, you know, whatever. Um, but my mom was pretty harsh. She had a pretty critical and judgmental uh, way about her and she would kind of insult us and belittle us um, in ways that probably weren't too emotionally supportive. That's for sure. Um, and so I find myself falling into those behaviors. Like, well, this is the way I was raised. So this is the way you must do it. You know, this is how this is done um, because I didn't have any other examples. I didn't, you know, most of us don't read a bunch of parenting books and shit before we have kids, we have kids. And then after we make a bunch of mistakes, we might go read some parenting books, <laughs> but it's usually like, it's usually reactive, not proactive for most people. Um, and so, you know, I still will occasionally find myself stuck into these patterns of, well, this is how I was raised. This is all I know about being a parent or a spouse. And uh, again, you know, through this process of recovery and, and finding this uh, like a willingness to do something different. You know, I can look to sources outside myself. I can maybe, you know, read a book here or there or seek some information online, you know, to, to find some answers to some of these things that I do. I feel like I've shared this on a podcast, and I guess if it's not here, maybe it's on the, the other little solo podcast I goof off with on the side. But I I feel like for me as a parent, if I parent and I'm not entirely present or conscious I'm parenting by default from whatever was given to me, just like what you just talked about. Like if I don't actively think about what is the purpose of this rule that I'm doing and does it make sense in the life of me and my kids, I just do naturally whatever was given to me by default, which 
as I've grown in my life and examined some of those things my parents gave to me, like, oh, this is just what we do, right? We we don't eat this at this time of day or something. Like most of the shit does not make any sense or have any bearing in science or any reality. And I look at it and I'm like, well, why the fuck did we do that? That's dumb. Right. <laughs> right. But see, we become so married to ideas like that. We become so like, like say they become so ingrained without really much thought or, or research. And I would say through an experience of a six step where we begin to look at some of our ideas, look at the ways that we think about things, examine our, you know, motivations behind our actions, you know, we become open-minded to new solutions and, and maybe better information. Yeah. I, I love the ability to re-examine things I do in my life, right? I don't necessarily have to give my kids chicken noodle soup when they're sick because there is no real healing property in it, right? <laughs> right. Is it a bad idea? No, it might not be. It might be a great idea. Like, but I don't have to follow these traditions and, and, you know, remedies for things that really don't serve any purpose in my life. And I don't even understand. I've actually gone to my mom and asked her at times, I'm like, why was this the rule? And usually their, their answer is just, oh, well, you know, that's what we did. And it's like, right. <laughs> there's no reason for that. It doesn't make sense. Right. Um, super, super interesting stuff, but yeah, definitely reason to stay present and aware of why we do what we do. Cause if not, we just act in ways that aren't usually beneficial. Um, another quote, I think you kind of already mentioned this, when the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than our fear of change, we will surely let go, right? Just the idea that eventually, man, the pain will get great enough that we will, because we're scared to do something different. And, and the next quote touches that. We may wonder what will happen to us without the use of what we may see as survival skills. Like what, what will happen in my life when I let go of trying to manipulate to get what I want, right? That's that's scary when we're used to getting what we want, right? I don't like the pain of not getting what I want. Um, and so, yeah, it has to be some pain in the way I'm acting sometimes, right? I, I think maybe as we move, pain becomes not the only motivator. As we grow in recovery, there's other motivators. Like I don't, I'm not necessarily work in my steps right this moment due to pain in my life. Like, yeah, there's always some pain, but I'm working steps because it's the right thing to do. And I want to continue my, my growth in life. Um, but early on for sure, pain is the absolute only motivator that worked for me. Maybe other people got better ones. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so here's one. Uh, I'm going to skip that one for now. Actually, we'll come back to that. Uh, I do like this one. Even after years of recovery, we may feel devastated at the reappearance of some old defect we thought had been removed. We are humbled by our imperfection, but let there be no mistake. Humility is the ideal state for an addict to be in. Hmm. Yeah, I thought that I really was incredible. Yeah. And, and it's, it's pretty really relevant for my life. I have found at different points in my recovery where I've, I don't want to say I've woken up because it's not like it happened overnight, but my revelation seemed to happen all at once. And I've kind of been awakened to this idea that, oh shit, I have this amount of time. I've done this much work. And in this exact moment I'm sitting in, I feel like I haven't changed a bit. I feel like I'm full of sickness and disease and it's terrible. I don't know. Have you ever come to any moments like that where you just felt terrible about, 
your progress and like you're not far enough? Um, sort of. So early on, I, I think it was my wife had said to me, like, we're all going to have bad moments, bad days and things like that. And so I try not to sort of put a total judgment on my life based on a day. Um, you know, yesterday was a day, for example, yesterday, I just no particular re- no, no major problems, but it just felt like the whole day, everything I was trying to do was a struggle. It was all these minor inconveniences. And like, I had to, you know, go do the grocery shopping and then I had to go to the hardware store and neither of those places have the shit I need. So then I got to go to a different store to get this other stuff. And then I come home and I'm working on a couple you know, things around the house and this thing's not working out like I thought it should. And that thing, you know, I fucked it all up. So I had to start over just some things like that, just general, you know, life problems. But it just seemed to be one of those days where they just compounded on each other. So by the end of the day, I'm like, fuck this day. My life sucks. Fucking everybody sucks. God hates me. You know, it's the same old, like, that's a, that's a thing that I do. I don't want to say frequently, but I find myself in that place. I've, I've been there before. And so I just identify it like, yep, this is what this is. It's just a day where I'm full of self-pity and self-whatever, and and that's okay. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. Day's going to start over, and I probably won't feel this way tomorrow. And so, you know, when I've had days where I feel like I haven't had much growth or I feel really bad because I've had those days too, um, I usually – most of the time the next day it's it goes away or it passes you know i don't usually stay stuck in those patterns for long periods of time um if i did i would probably seek professional help because i would think that maybe i've struggled with maybe depression or some sort of you know mental issue but because that's what i understand to be like depression is when you get stuck in those patterns of thinking for a long period of time um so this so, was more, yeah. I'm sorry, this was more, uh, not so much like having one of those days or, or something like that, but this was more, I think, what had happened, and it did somewhat involve mental health, was that unchecked mental health uh, went on in recovery, right, for me. And I what maybe wasn't aware that I needed outside help, and I continued to act on some character defects that weren't drug use, uh, but I just continued to do them because they seemed to be the answer for my mental health depression problem, uh, you know, and I guess what ultimately happened was I acted on them long enough and wasn't spiritually disciplined and working on my, my spiritual growth. And so the focus was more on these outside things that kept bringing me little fixes to get me by. And then I, it all culminated to a moment where it was like, Jesus, here you are with this amount of clean time and this much step work and you're acting like a piece of shit still. Like you're fake. You're not real. You're not really recovering. And so it was more one of them moments. And I'm not, I don't know your whole story, but I've never heard you describe uh, participating in things like that. And so the, the solution was at that point, I did seek some outside help. Right. And I, you know, visited some other programs for some of the other character defects I was acting on. I, I ended up on an antidepressant for a time, uh, a long time, that I, I felt I needed and completely assisted me to become a different person. And so maybe it was just a mental health issue, but it, it definitely felt like a lack of ability to ad- 
address character defects and they kind of spiraled out of control and and took me to a place that felt very much like the bottom I experienced right before I walked in the door. Um, and so I, I just, I don't know if everybody goes through that, but that was the moment I came to after my years of recovery, feeling devastated that I was still this person. Yeah. And I haven't had that experience. I've certainly had times or moments or situations where I thought, shit, I'm not near as good as I think, you know, I don't know about you. I think very highly of myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm constantly, you know, disappointed in myself for small things that I fall short on time and time again. Um, I typically tend to hold myself to some superhuman standard um, that I can't possibly live up to. So I am repeatedly like, but it's not like it, it's not typically in a major way where I beat myself up. Um, now I haven't, I guess to, I don't want to take credit because I'm sure it's half of it's just been luck, but no, I wouldn't say I've had anything as you're describing where I've found myself stuck in patterns of really bad behavior. I mean, I guess just to be frank, since I've used, like I've never been, you know, cheating on my wife or excessively spending money or caught up into gambling or any real major, uh, devastating character defects. Um, it's just been the little day-to-day -day life stuff, issues with anger, issues with getting caught up in just self-centeredness, stuff like that. You know, so I haven't had any major, major character defect episodes that I've engaged in for a while. Gotcha. Gotcha. So to take this in another direction, uh, one of the things I realized with all these people, there's a lot of people speaking out, uh, on social media about different things. You know, there's the argument about the political stuff. There's the argument about the quarantine versus let's be open. There's, you know, now the newer argument about, uh, you know, it's almost seems to be a black lives matter protesting versus people condemning rioting. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to get into any specifics of that whatsoever, but what I had realized in some of my frustration towards, you know, people who believe things opposite than me, whatever that may be, we'll leave it up in the air. Um, I was like, why can't these motherfuckers just see, act like they care or, or, or see that they don't care or whatever it was that I wanted them to do. I wanted them to somehow understand the beliefs that I had and be on the page with that because they seem like bad people when they weren't right. But I realized also that, in their posts, they were saying the same thing, just the opposite. Like, why can't y'all see what we see and act like we want you to act, right? And so I, I kind of, in coming, you know, I'm like, oh, we're coming up to the sixth step. And I made a post, and I made the post about me, but I really meant it about everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, you know, on Twitter, and it was like, uh, what is it about me that can't accept the world the way it is and wants to enforce my will on it? And I'm, I made another post that said, we're awful quick to point out what other people should be doing for people that can't fix our own character defects, right? Mm. And so I was looking at that, and one of the quotes from our, the literature that I found was, rather than condemning the behavior of another, we look at ourselves. And look, this was my self-righteous way to condemn the other side of the, the street, right? This was my self-righteous way to say, Oh, all you judgy fucks out there can't even look at yourself. You're not even working a program. Like I wanted to go on Facebook and just comment on everybody's little judgy status. Like what fucking step are you working? 
right? Because like, <laughs> it's obvious you're not working on yourself. You're working on everybody else and judging them and calling them names and shit, right? Look, here's the truth. I'm doing the same shit in my head, right? I'm not doing it on Facebook, but I'm doing it in my head. And so I just, the whole thing is interesting that we spend so much time talking about how all these other people need to change and adjust so that we can be comfortable in the world. And, and the truth of this step, I think, is that that's the exact opposite of what we need to do. We need to ignore what the fuck everybody else is doing, whether we like it or not, and just look at ourselves and figure out where we need to grow spiritually. Me calling people uh, idiots and, and, and whatever other names that people are calling each other is not actually doing anything. Nobody's hearing that. Nobody's listening to that. Why am I not looking at myself and wondering why I need to call people names? Like those people just have an opinion, right? I don't share it. But it's just an opinion that I, I don't know. Any take on that? Yeah. So for me, like I'll, I'll give you my, my practical how I'm living with most of that now. Because I tend to, in my head, feel the same way. I tend to think that what I think is right, obviously. And I tend to think that I am educated. I think deeply about things. And that I know more than most people on most subjects. I know how arrogant that sounds. Um, I recognize <laughs> that in myself so I can own it, which helps a lot. You know what I mean? Like it helps to know like, yes, this is, this is me. This is what I do. So we can act differently. You know what I mean? Like I don't have to act that way. I recognize that I do that. So in practicality, what happens most of the time, let's take, you know, Facebook, like I'll be sitting at Facebook. Someone will post some like ass backwards racist comment. It's not directly racist, but it's racist, you know, and I want to point that out to them. So I fucking pull up the comments and I start to type in and like before I hit send, I sit there and I usually will think about it and think, do I really want to engage in this? Is this worth my time and effort? You know, is this something that I want to do? And every time so far I say no. And I delete the comment and I close Facebook and I don't fucking engage. Um, it's not because I think that that makes them any more right. And it's not because I don't believe in my argument because I definitely think I could out argue them if I wanted to. Um, I just don't think that's a good place to be. And maybe that's an application of this step. It's like it's not my job to fix the world. I think that it is, you know, I want to take that responsibility with everyone that I see and the guy on the road that cuts me off and the, you know, person in the grocery store that's fucking walking the wrong way up and down the aisle, you know, all that stuff. Um, but is that worth it to my own spirit? And is one, is it really going to do anything? And two, you know, how the fuck says that I'm right? Why do I get to decide that my way is so much better? Like, I guess I just don't take myself that serious, even though I think I'm smarter and think that I know more and think that my way is better. Um, I just don't take myself that serious anymore. And so in doing that, I can let go of people that are wrong because I don't need to take them serious either. Yeah, I, I do my best not to respond to anything along the lines. It doesn't mean I don't stop and read some some comment sections or have my opinions or feelings or, you know, close down Facebook angrily <clears throat> as if I'm hanging up a phone in the 80s. Um, 
but but yeah i just try to avoid most of it myself because i don't i don't want to get caught up in it i know how angry i can get i know how mean i can be and i know that i've spent a lifetime of how to feel better by putting others down and so i don't want to plant those kind of seeds out in the world um but i i am now and instead of just avoiding you know looking at it or, or getting off of facebook i'm also trying to see what is it about me that's so that's that wants to act the way i want to act right what is it about me that wants to lash out at these people with differing opinions and and i'm trying to just dig a little deeper and i it's almost if anything it's more of just a reminder that hey instead of judging them what am i how am i living today because it's real easy when I start judging everybody else to completely lose focus on how I'm living and live all kind of cruddy in my own day-to-day life and just be worried about how those people over there aren't, you know, acting right on Facebook. Uh, and that's not helping me. I need to, how am I living today? Am I, was I nice to my daughter? She asked for a haircut last night and I don't know how I feel about it. And now I'm like, that should be the priority of my life. How am I treating her? With, about this subject that I'm unsure of, right? Not how these people on Facebook need to change their way of acting. Yeah, and I actually saw a Saturday Night Live did a skit a while back about, you know, similar. I, I think it was a racial thing, and it was, in essence, you know, like a bunch of white people making, like, Facebook comment posts about how much they're doing for this racial inequality by making a stupid Facebook post. Like... To me, like that's taking yourself way too fucking seriously. Um, some of these issues are incredibly important. Like, uh, you know, racism in our country is, you know, it's fucking terrible. Like, I don't want to see that in the world that I live in. I don't want to see it in my community. I don't want to see it, you know, around me. Um, I would like to think that if I was directly in a situation where there was some weird racism going on, I would try to stand up for the person or I would try to be a voice that would speak out against it. Like, I think there are definite opportunities where we should act and there are things we should do. Um, I, you know, nothing against people want to go out and like protest out in the street and take action that way. Like those are things you can do. Um, but is fucking going down a 45 minute, you know, Facebook argument with my cousin who lives in Florida fucking worth it? Like, is that where I want to spend that energy trying to make a difference? And do I think doing that is going to make any difference? And the truth Mm -hmm. for me is, no, it's really not. It's going to be one thing with one person that doesn't even seem like they're really willing to if you and I had a different opinion about it and we were somewhere having a coffee and we started to have a conversation, I would engage in the conversation, hopefully not like self-righteously. And, and maybe that's an indicator that I'm in a bad place is like once I start, you know, getting worked up and I feel myself getting to that self-righteous place, like that's when it's not a good conversation anymore. And that's just me and my, again, understanding my character defects, understanding what happens, because when I get to that place, I'm no longer listening to you and I am no longer open-minded. I am just thinking of counterpoints to whatever comes out of your mouth. That's all I'm thinking about at that point. Whatever you say, how can I spin it negative and figure out a way to make it wrong? And I'm no longer listening to what you're saying. I'm just trying to make you wrong. 
Um, and right. that's, you know, that's not a place I want to be. And that's probably where they are too. So it's fucking pointless to go down that, you know. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do something, that we shouldn't take action, but it's like learning some discernment on, okay, what are some, you know, and again, this all ties back into six step. Like, what are some good places where I can put this frustration or this anger into action in a good way? And then what are just me and my character defects of self-righteousness, you know, and, and this fixing the world, you know, this arguing with every individual on Facebook who makes a comment is probably more that. It's probably more acting out on a character defect than it is really trying to achieve some good in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to uh, get to a couple more things to say. There's a couple paragraphs in It Works that I really liked. I'll read that right now. It says, although some of us have not understood the critical importance of the sixth and seventh steps, they are essential actions that must be taken if we expect to make any significant and lasting changes in our lives. We cannot simply say, yes, I'm ready. God, please remove my defects and go on to step eight. If we gloss over the sixth and seventh steps and go on to make our amends, we will only wind up owing more amends by repeating the same destructive patterns as before. The lifelong process of the sixth step is just that, a process. We've started the process of becoming entirely ready, and we will strive to increase our readiness throughout our lifetime. Our job is to become entirely ready and to open our hearts and minds to the deep internal changes that can only be brought about by the presence of a loving God. I'm sure that last uh, sentence wasn't your ideal final sentence for that, but uh, I love the idea that it points out that it's a lifelong process, right? Like these defects might be removed in bits and pieces. Uh, we might get rid of lying early, but stealing later on or vice versa. We might get rid of like degrees of lying or degrees of stealing as we go. But the chances are, uh, and I don't even know if it's chances, we're going to be working on pieces of our character that are shitty for the rest of our life. Like this isn't a, I wrote step six, I did step seven, and now I can, you know, go up in the pulpit and, and preach uh, free of sin. Like that's not how this works. Right. And for me, the truth is it's been most of those defects I would say are still, you know, there, they're still, I, I still have that. I still struggle with the same defects they just come up and manifest in different ways or in different areas. And as I embark on new situations and new, you know, paths in my life, you know, I'll see those same old defects come up in different ways, you know? So, and, and then some of them are just way more deeply ingrained. I mean, some are just, you know, way down in there, you know, take a little more consistent yeah. effort, whereas others are a little easier, you know? Yeah, I got a I got a large cup of water and it's got a tiny hole in it somewhere, right? And I see the hole and then, you know, the first week I decide I'm going to shove cotton in it. And so I just keep shoving cotton in and it keeps not working. Eventually the water seeps out again. And then I'm like, "All right, well, I'll get rid of this character defect. The cotton ain't working. Let me, you know, shove some toilet paper in it or something." Like it's just the object of continually I'm still trying to fix the same problem, which I think in seven, I've gotten to a different understanding, but I'll save that for July. Um, but yeah, I, we just keep using these defects in different ways, trying to get the same remedy out of it, right? We're, we're using them to try to fix the same problem underneath of it all. Um, 
Another, the last quote I had, and, and I wanted, I hope this takes us, you know, quickly because we're, we're getting a little short on time, but quickly into what I wanted to ask you about this. The quote is part of the process of becoming entirely ready involves practicing constructive behavior. Um, and so as this step says, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And as you are not someone who believes in a traditional type being that is God, how do you become entirely ready to have God help you in your removal of your character defects? Um, this may sound a little overly simplistic, but I would say if I were to take out the word God and put spiritual principles in place of the word God, like I am trying to practice spiritual principles in place of my defects. Um, I'm trying to find, you know, a, a better way of dealing with whatever that underlying problem is. And again, to get back to something like the, the anger that I feel when the guy cuts me off on the highway, you know, like I'm going to be angry. Um, the, I don't just get to go, well, being angry, you know, that just makes me an asshole. So I'm just not allowed to be angry when the guy cuts me off on the highway. And if not, I'm not spiritual. Like, no, that's not it at all. Like when the guy cuts me off, I'm, I'm going to be angry and that's okay. I just own that. Like, yeah, now I'm angry. Okay. What do I do when I'm angry? You know, do I want to flick them off and cut them off and, you know, race down around them and start a road rage incident? Or do I just want to try to all right, I'm fucking angry. Like, what are we going to do with this? All right, let's, let's try some of these things we know. Let's take a deep breath. Let's fucking whatever. Count to 10, say a prayer. Um, let's just, you know, sometimes it'll be just a justification. Like, hey, maybe he's late for work or his fucking kid's in an accident. He's trying to get to the hospital. Whatever mechanism I want to use to try to practice, like, compassion, understanding, empathy, love, like whatever tool I want to use to try to put those in place of my self-righteousness, my self-centeredness, my uh, whatever feeling, whatever rational I'm trying to make to, you know, be angry at this person. I'm going to try to use a spiritual principle in place of that. I waited all goddamn week for you to tell me just to replace the word God with spiritual principle. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting gold here, Billy. No, that's that's actually pretty pretty sensible. I mean, entirely ready to have spiritual principles replace all these defects of character. I almost think, I think me and you and I, I don't know if we should start our own program because I, I know we're conceited, but that's a little much. Uh, but, but honestly, some of these steps need to be reworded. The searching of fearless moral inventory has definitely got to get the <laughs> fuck out of town. And we were entirely ready to have God. Yeah. Why not? We were entirely ready to have spiritual principles replace all these defects of character. Like that's, there's no God in that. There's no, you're forced to have a deity. There's, you can be agnostic, atheist. You can be whatever the fuck you want. And that still applies. Well, and, but there's a, a second piece to that. So I'll justify a little bit of maybe the power greater than ourselves or power outside of ourselves. It's like, I don't just go, oh, yeah, I'll just practice uh, forgiveness here. And all of a sudden, poof, I know what forgiveness means. Like I need to seek an understanding of forgiveness outside of myself. Like I need to talk to people like you or people in recovery or, or maybe a spiritual counselor, you know, or a person at a church that can help me get uh, an understanding of forgiveness and what that looks like and how that looks in people's lives. You know, these mm -hmm. spiritual what I what typically happens for me is I understand or know like the 
the definition of them. I know what they mean, but knowing how to practice them in a situation is where my powerlessness comes in, is where my, you know, weakness comes in. It's like I can know what a word means, but I don't know how to live it at all. Um, so I need to to look to other examples, to other people to help me understand how to apply these things in my life. I think along with that, not only do, you know, we need the example and somebody to show us how to apply it. I think also, I just can't do this alone, right? right. What I need when I'm going through it, uh, I need to come to you and say, God, Billy, I'm not feeling heard by my family and I'm fucking angry and I want to choke them, right? And in telling you that, one, I get to feel heard because you're going to listen. And then two, I don't have to act on it. Like there's something about me getting it out and saying it that I no longer feel like I have to feel so compelled to do it. And so it, it takes like that power greater than, again, I can't carry a sofa up the steps by myself, but you and I together probably could. I can't act better all by myself, but once I can share with you this shitty thinking I have, it seems to make it easier for me to act better in my life. And so, yeah, I would say you're right. That That is a higher power than just me alone. Yeah. So, and I, I kind of, I don't want to say stole that a little bit, but of course my wife and I talk a lot about recovery subjects and for her, and I didn't work it this way, but for her, I believe it's a six step that she does the first time through with people. Um, Cause she got clean before the step working guide. So she doesn't give that to people that first go around. Um, she, that's, part of that six step process is writing out your character defects and then writing out the spiritual principle. That's like the opposite of that character defect that you could work in place of that spiritual principle. I mean that you could work in place of that defect. So that's mm -hmm. an actual, you know, thing that's, that's written out when she does a six step with her sponsees. So is that, is that not in our step working guide? I thought it was, I thought that was uh, part of it. it might be, it's been a while yeah, since working guide i can't or a six step i know people don't get that far i was just <laughs> <laughs> that's cruddy right but look we i posted recently i can't remember which of the steps it was one of the last two and i posted like hey what's your experience with this or whatever and it got like no response and i was like damn really usually people respond a lot to our step questions and i realized i was like maybe we're getting to those steps that people haven't worked so they don't have <laughs> yeah, a right. of that's yeah. funny yeah, I don't know. I, I think this is a, a, a hugely beneficial conversation we've had today. I, I've enjoyed it. I've definitely got a lot out of it. Um, six step is is crucial to the process of change in my life. I can say that. Um, it's not just making a list, even though that is a big part of it. But it's really, you know, just seeing and being more aware of, of what is really going on in my actions on a daily basis and how they affect me and others. And if I really, if I'm okay with that or not. Right. And that willingness is important because if I just sit back and go, yep, I'm good with who I am today. I'm not shooting dope anymore. I got a job, you know, I, maybe I'm not perfect, but I'm fucking good enough. So I'm happy with just not doing drugs. You know, where's the motivation to do any more work? You know, for me, it's like a willingness of like, no, I believe that I can be a better person. I believe that I still have some areas in my life where I'm causing harm to myself and the people that I love and even, you know, people around me and that I can do something about that. And that I not, not that I can do something about it, but that I want to, and am willing to do something about it. 
Right. Well, do you have any more for today? This is probably about the right amount of time for a podcast, not too much over. No, I think we covered the six step pretty well. Excellent. Everybody get out there, continue working your steps so that you can get to step six so that you do have an opinion to contradict us about so we can argue it with you, yeah. uh, tell you how wrong you are. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, but everybody have a great and safe week. If you're starting to get back to in-person meetings, be safe out there, do, do safe behaviors just because they're open doesn't mean we should run back to do everything. Not to say that you shouldn't go, but just be careful in your you're attending in-person meetings. Also make sure you're telling your local area that they're back open. We want to know, we want the newcomer to know where to find us on our area websites. Um, And we'll see you again next week. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about, or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor. Email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.